All right, if you want to, turn in your books to Lesson 13 as we continue our study on Bible study. And um, tonight our goal of the lesson is to complete our study of Acts 1-8 and review some various Bible study tools. So we're going to complete our study of Acts 1-8 and review some various Bible study tools. So last week we started in our study of Acts 1-8 and we went through some observation and we observed a lot of things in one little verse of scripture. There are so many points of information that we can gain by just seeing what's right there in front of us. And we did that by asking six questions. What were those six questions that we asked in observation? Exactly. Who, what, where, when, why, and how. So now we're going to move on to the second part of Bible study, and this is finding out what is the meaning of the passage, and it's called interpretation. And in interpretation, it's basically a recreation process. We want to recreate what is it that the author, whenever he originally wrote what he wrote, what did he mean by by the words that he said? And the truth is, are we going to be able to understand everything that there is in God's Word? Are we going to understand all the meaning of everything that's written in God's Word? No, no, because, yeah, it would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, but we're not going to be able to understand everything. But we do with it, you know, like they do with the fish. You you take in the meat and you throw away the bones. And we need to remember this, too, that there can be many applications to a passage of Scripture, but there's actually only one interpretation. So there's only one thing that the writer meant whenever he wrote a specific passage. All people may not agree on what the interpretation is, and that's fine as long as we keep in mind the conflict is not in the text, but in our limited understanding of the text. God is confused. God is not confused about what he has said, even if we are, is a quote that's often used. And so um, there's only one actual interpretation. And if you go back to the final thing in the summary of last week, I said in there, I would change what I said last week because it says application answers the question of what do I do now as we make personal application on our interpretation is what I said last week, but I would change that to the interpretation. So as we make personal application based on the interpretation. And so because there is only one interpretation for a passage of scripture, there's only one thing that the writer meant whenever he wrote the words. So there can be many applications and they can be different for different people. Um, but we always, like we said, we always make our application personal and we base it off of the interpretation. So let's begin thinking about interpretation. And there's three key aspects that we're going to look at. Does anybody remember what those aspects are? We looked at it a couple of weeks ago or a couple of lessons ago. Verbs, yeah, exactly. Verbs is one of the things. We're going to look at the verbs, and the verbs do what? Show action. They show action, exactly right. And then the, the second thing is what? Connectives. connectives. And we went through that whole list of connectives. Um, but, therefore, as, 
um, that. So, so we looked at all of those different connectives and, and talked about what all they mean. And then keywords is the third thing, keywords. And those we said are any words um, that you see personally that are that are key words that you don't understand that need more mean, meaning or powerful words that you know are key because they stand out or words that are repeated over and over are key words. There's a reason why that word is repetitive in there, and we would look at those as key words. So going back to our passage that we were looking at, we looked at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and we read um, verses 1 through, I think we went down to verse 13 whenever we read so that we could get the context and the flow of everything that was going on. But we're keying in on Acts 1, 8 as our verse that we're studying. And so in Acts 1, 8, it says, but you will receive peace. Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So, what's the first verb that we see in that verse of Scripture? But you will, will receive. And so, whenever we see will receive, what tense is that? Future. So, in the future, but you will receive in the future. So the disciples in the future, they're going to receive something and they're going to receive power. What's the next verbs that we see? Number two. Okay. Has, so has come. Okay. In what tense is that? Past. Okay. So you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and so the Holy Spirit has to come upon them before they receive the power. And then, going on, and it says, what's the third verb? Shall be. And again, what tense is that? Future. And so, that's that's something that's going to happen in the future as well, just as like, will receive power. And so whenever we take that and we look at it as a whole, the verbs show us that after the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples, then they'll receive power and then they will be witnesses. So verbs are very important in, in dissecting and figuring out the meaning of what what is written, of what the what the sentence, what the verse what the passage of Scripture is saying. And so there is an actual consecutive order in, in the way that things are going to happen. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. You know, so it's not, oh, just go out and witness and then eventually, you know, you'll get this power to be able to do it. Um, once the Holy Spirit, no, there's an order. He tells him to wait. Wait until you receive the power. Then or wait until you till the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you'll receive the power, and then you can go be my witnesses. So there's an importance in the verbs. Any questions or anything about the verbs before we go on to the connectives? So what is the connective? But, exactly. 
And what does but do? We talked about it. Exactly. It shows contrast. And so but shows contrast. It's a connective that shows contrast. And what is the contrast? Where do you go to find what the contrast is? Yeah, so you have to go back up. And so what is the contrast? If you go back up there to um, verse 6, it says, So when they had all come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. And so the contrast is it's not time for the kingdom, but it's time to be witnesses. So it's not time for the kingdom, but in contrast in the time for the kingdom, it's time for you to be my witnesses. And that's what the the contrast is showing. And so it's important to look at those connectives because they give us contrast or they give us a summary or they give us reason, um, all of those things. But in this verse, the, the connective there is but. Then keywords. So we can just look and see what, what are some keywords that you see in this passage of Scripture. And it doesn't, like I said, it could be different from one person versus another person, but what do you see is is something that is a key word that you might want to key in on this verse of Scripture? Okay, so power is one of them that somebody said, so let's look at that one first. Number one is power. And so whenever you think about power, what do you think power is? Okay, the ability to to perform, the ability to do something, um, enablement. The the Greek word there is the word that we get dynamite from. And so it's not just, you know, you have this enablement, but you actually have this dynamite type power um, that you can use and that comes from the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. You're welcome. And then what's another one that somebody said? Holy Spirit. Spirit. Okay, so number two is Holy Spirit. So let's think about the Holy Spirit here for a minute. What, What do we know about the Holy Spirit? Okay, one of the Trinity. Okay, so it's God. Gives us the power to be witnesses. What's that? Yep, so at the moment you believe, you receive it. So it's something that we have inside of us. What did you say a while ago? Okay, so so the Holy Spirit's the one that teaches us God's Word. He's the one that helps us with the interpretation process um, as we study Scripture. He teaches us all things and brings to our remembrance 
the things that we've been taught. John fourteen twenty six. that's what that verse tells us. And so not only does he teach us the truths and gives us the interpretation as we study Scripture, but he brings back to our remembrance. He gives us the words that we need to say whenever we're standing before people, when we're witnessing, whenever we're trying to give an answer for the hope that's within us. He's... Yeah. And he's the one that gives us spiritual gifts to, um, you know, enable us to do service within the ministry. And so, I mean, there's so much that can be said. And so, you know, that is something that is a key word. It's something that's important, something to think about. So, you know, we get this power and this power comes from the Holy Spirit who we know that he lives inside of us. We know he's the one that teaches us. We know he's the one that can give us the words whenever we go and stand before people. So, I mean, this is key to building us up and to, to giving us encouragement and to helping us make application of this passage whenever we decide, you know, what am I going to do with what this verse says um, by knowing things about the Holy Spirit, it'll help us with that as well. And then what's another key word? Witness, okay? Number three is witness. What does a witness do? Okay, so first it's somebody that's observed something, and then what did they do? Think about... Okay, exactly. They explain it, they testify basically of what they've seen if you think about a trial and you put a witness up on the stand what are they to witness to whatever they saw whatever it is that that they heard whatever it was that was going on they they basically tell the truth about or are supposed to tell the truth about um what they what they saw and what they they were able to give a witness of and these disciples, they were to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, of his life, his death, his resurrection, and they were to tell other people about Jesus Christ. And we're to be witnesses in the same way that they are because we have the truth. We have God's word. We witness the truth from God's word, and we are to share that, and we're to testify um, of the things that we know from God's word. And then number four is Jerusalem. And that's where they were, they were to begin. He said, you know, beginning right there in Jerusalem. And so let's think about Jerusalem. What do we know about Jerusalem? Okay, capital of Israel. Who, what people lived in Jerusalem? Jews. Okay, and you know, you... Jesus said, you take the message to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so, you know, you start right there where where the capital is. You start right there where the religious leaders are. You start there with the Jewish people um, and you spread the message. You spread the message where you are with the people that are like you, the people that are surrounding you. Um, and so that's what he says. So you start right there in Jerusalem. And then Judea and Samaria. So number five is Judea slash Samaria. And Judea is basically like Jerusalem is a is a city. Judea is is a like a bigger portion. It's it's expanding out. Um, yeah, like a county or a state. Um, and so it's expanding out. 
And then Samaria, you know, is kind of a unique place because it's some place that was disliked by um, the Jewish people um, because the people living there were half Jewish, half Gentile. Can you think of a of a great story though of of Jesus in Samaria? The woman at the well and. What did he do? He witnessed to the woman at the well. He's telling these guys that, you know, you spread out. You don't just take the message to your friends, to those that are around you, to those that are like you. You take the message throughout Judea, spread out, and to Samaria, the people that, you know, you make look at them and say, you know, you're sinful people, you're you're not like us, you're not doing the right things, um, you don't look like us, you don't dress like us, but he's saying that doesn't matter, you take the message to anybody, and even the people that you somewhat dislike. So you begin in Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and then even to the remotest parts of the earth, and that's to where we are today we're one of the remotest parts of the earth we're far away from where they were we're gentile people as a as a whole and so that's where the message was to spread so in summary um there as far as getting through the interpretation we see number one that it's not time for the kingdom but it's time to witness for Jesus Christ. It's not time for the kingdom, but time to witness for Jesus Christ. Then number two is, the power to witness comes from the Holy Spirit. The power to witness comes from the Holy Spirit. And then number three The disciples are to begin in Jerusalem and spread throughout the world. The disciples are to begin in Jerusalem and spread throughout the world. Out in your margin, you might write these things down. These are five other keys that we take into account as we interpret Scripture. These are five keys to remember and five keys to think about as we interpret Scripture. Number one is content. And we've really taken care of content in that observation stage. What is the content? What's right there in front of us that we're looking at? Then number two is context. And we did that in the observation stage as well. Um, but we we gain our meaning from what comes before and what comes after. So we looked at one verse and based off of that one verse, we couldn't find as much meaning as we could by adding what's above it and what's below it. We got a lot more information. We got a lot more in our observation and we got a lot more meaning to the scripture, to that verse based off of what came before it and what came after. Then comparison is the third thing. Comparison. Always compare Scripture with Scripture. If you come to a hard passage of Scripture, something that's hard for you to understand, you always go back to clear Scriptures to help you understand the harder things. And um, a lot of times, you know, as we saw before, 
many times Scripture will interpret Scripture for itself. And then the next thing is culture. The historical context, the culture of the people group. And so you you got to take that in into consideration whenever you're interpreting a passage of Scripture. Um, you know, where was this written? Um, where were... Where were these um, these disciples? What was the culture? And then consultation is the final thing. And this is always the final thing that you go to. And this consultation means using secondary resources um, to find out the meaning. So basically, at that point in time, we should have came up with the meaning on our own. Because we've already observed it. We've gone through all of the steps of interpretation. We've looked at the verbs. We've looked at the connectives. We've looked at the keywords. We've got the content. We've got the context. We've compared Scripture with, with Scripture. We've thought about the cultural and uh, historical context of, of what it is that we're, that we're looking at. And then we finally go to consultation and we look at um, some commentaries and see if what other people came up with as their meaning for that scripture that we came up with the same meanings or if we didn't um, you know is what they're saying does it make sense does it make sense biblically as a whole um, and we go from there to obtain meaning so any comments, any questions? One key thing, though, to remember is, you know, every passage of Scripture has only one interpretation. And so, you know, it's not, well, what this passage says to me or means to me is this. And then you say, well, that passage of Scripture doesn't mean that to me. It means this, you know. And so this is the meaning of the passage that I see from there. But as we recreate the process, the author had a meaning. He had a reason for, for why he wrote, wrote it. But we can make many applications, and that leads us to the final thing, which is application. What are we going to do with the information that we have? How can it change our lives? How can it make us more like Christ? Um, Howard Hendricks says, The Bible was not written to satisfy your curiosity, it was written to transform your life. And there's so many people, you know, that say, man, I want to study the Bible. I want to know it. I want to dig it. I want to get in there because, man, it is. It's so deep and, and it's hard to understand. So I want to dig it so that I can know this information. But they do nothing with it. But that's not what the Bible's for. It's it's written to, to transform our lives. Titus 1.1 says, it is the truth that leads to godliness. So there's truth in there, but that truth is not just written to satisfy our curiosity. It's not just written to give us information so that we, you know, we can say, hey, man, I know all of this information about the Bible. Ask me a question about the Bible so I can answer it for you. Although I live like this crazy wild hooligan, um, that's not what it's meant for. This truth is truth that leads to godliness. I love James one twenty two. It says, but prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who lead themselves to delusion. And so um, 
hearers who delude themselves. So we were to prove ourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude ourselves. And that's what happens so many times. I love another quote that um, Howard Hendricks used. He said, many Christians are like poor photographers. They're overexposed and underdeveloped. Here at Stillwater Bible, I mean, we we get a lot of exposure to the Word of God. On Sunday morning, um, in grow group time, we teach the Bible. In Sunday morning, it's verse by verse, passage by passage. We're teaching the Bible, how to put it together. What's the information? How does it fit in the whole of the Bible? Um, how does it fit in the whole of the book, the verses and the, and the passages that we're looking at? How does it fit in that specific book? And so we get a lot of information, a lot of exposure to the Bible. Here on Wednesday nights, we get a lot of exposure to the Bible, but yet we're underdeveloped. We're not doing anything with the word that we have. And so um, that's the way many Christians live their lives. They're They're in it. They have exposure to it. But yet they don't use it to change their lives. They don't use it to turn around and teach it to other people as what we're supposed to do. We're to be disciples and we're to make disciples. In order to be disciples, we have to be changed, to be like Christ. That's the goal of our lives, that Romans eight twenty nine, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And we have a purpose. God left us here so that we would make disciples, so that we would fulfill this commission of being his witnesses. Um basically to the entire part of the world. And so we've got to make application in our lives. But there's two keys that we talked about um, last time. And number one is we must always base our application on the interpretation. It says our interpretation in your book. I'd change that to the interpretation. So it's not our interpretation. We don't get an interpretation of what the Bible says, but we there is the interpretation, and we base our application on the interpretation. And then we always need to make our application personal. And so as we think about what are some applications that we can make from this Acts 1.8, whenever you give these applications, make them personal. So what is an application that we could take from Acts 1.8? But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. What's an application that we could make from that? To be witnesses. So what would be a personal application? I need. I need... To be a witness of Jesus Christ. So that's how you would write it. So what am I going to do? I am going to be a witness of Jesus Christ. What's another one? Okay. So I need to start where I am. So if I've got family, friends, uh, neighbors that are around me. That. I know are not believers, or I don't know if they're a believer or not. That's where I'm supposed to start. And then spread out from there. What else? Okay, but do we have to do that? I mean, because we have the Holy Spirit is actually inside of us at the moment we believe in Christ. We get the Holy Spirit. But, at the same time, we could say that because 
it's in God's timing. So if we're going to wait on the Holy Spirit, then basically we know he's already in us because this is a transitional book, Acts, Acts is, and they didn't receive the Holy Spirit until the day of Pentecost. But for us, we know he lives inside of us. But there is a truth in, in God's timing with everything. And so we can be praying for opportunities. We can be praying for the right timing of the Holy Spirit to to bring that timing about because who's the ultimate one who's, who saves people? It's not us. It's the Holy Spirit. But we, we're to be faithful to be witnesses. Um, and so it may mean that, you know, we're building a relationship. We're looking for the right time to be able to talk to people. But in the same sense and in, in manner... I'll I'll wait until the right time. I'll wait until the right time. I'll wait until the right time. The timing is never going to be there if you wait for the perfect time to tell someone. And so um, sometimes we have to step out of our comfort zone. We have to trust um, that God will work in the situation and everything as well. So I think that's a good... Any other applications that anybody sees or that they would write down based on this verse? I mean, I think it's key, you know, that the Holy Spirit does empower us, you know, and that we we can take that as comfort whenever we go out there to witness to people that we know that, you know, if we're studying, if we're in the word um, and, we're, and we're looking at truths and, you know, we've gone through this class and we know what the gospel is, we know how to share the gospel with other people. Um, we know that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us that if we stand before somebody, we, we've got to have the confidence and this verse should give us the confidence that whenever we stand before him, you know, we will know the right words to say and um, that he'll be able to use us um, to to get the message across that whoever we're standing in front of um, can get the information and, and believe in Christ. So any other things? we got all kinds of time. So I'll give you these too. Here's another little extra thing. This is from that Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks. He gives you nine questions to ask basically um, whenever you think about application. And um, so you can write these out to the side if you want to. If you don't want to. You don't care. You don't have to. But um, number one is, is there an example to follow? So as we look at this verse, is there a is there an example to follow? I think the example to follow is they were to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. I need to follow that example. I need to be a witness of Jesus Christ. Number two, is there a sin to avoid? Is there a sin to avoid? The only sin to avoid that I would say is the sin of omission, that you're not doing what you're supposed to do. But sometimes in Scripture, I mean, it actually gives you sins the way that you see people live their lives, um, some mistakes that people make, or it gives you, you know, don't do this list of things, but do this list of things. So is there a sin to avoid? Number three, is there a promise to claim? Is there a promise to claim? Do you see a promise to claim in here? The power of the Holy Spirit. Exactly right. 
We've got the power of the Holy Spirit. We can claim that promise. Is there a prayer to repeat? Is there a prayer to repeat? So, you know, Paul has some great prayers in um, in some of his letters. Um, you know, you see going through the Psalms, you can pray through um, Psalms, things like that. So is there a prayer to repeat in the, in the Scripture that you are looking at? Number five, is there a command to obey? Is there a command to obey? In this one, he tells us to be witnesses. We need to obey that command. Is there a condition to meet? Is there a condition to meet? For them, wait for the Holy Spirit. Begin where you are, spread out from there. Number seven, is there a verse to memorize? So maybe you're looking at a passage of Scripture or maybe you're looking at this one verse. Is there a verse to memorize? This verse right here is very important as I talked about before because this is the verse that breaks down the whole um, book of Acts. They begin in Jerusalem. They get comfortable there. They think, you know, they're not spreading out. So what happens? Persecution comes. Rather than killing Christianity, what did it do? It spread the gospel just as Jesus said in Acts 1.8 what they were to do. They were to spread out. So the message began to spread out. And then Paul comes on the scene and takes it to the remotest parts of the earth as he um, spreads out and takes the message to the Gentile world. Number eight, is there an error to mark? Is there an error to mark? And what I mean by that is there an error in my theological thinking that this passage corrects and causes me to change my thinking. And so sometimes that happens. You know, whenever you're looking, you're studying Scripture, you see something and it's in black and white. And, um, and you know, you compare Scripture with Scripture and you may come to the realization that something that you believed in the past to be a theological truth no longer um, do you hold that way and it may change change your thinking. Just be careful if you do that. Number nine is, is there a challenge to face? Is there a challenge to face? The challenge before us is to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. So, I mean, you can use that. So if you go through and you ask basically the verse or the passage of Scripture that you're studying, these questions, they help you to come up with applications that you can make in your life. What is it that I can do with this passage of Scripture now that I know what it says, I know what it means? Now, how's it? how can it change my life? As you answer these questions, it helps you to see that. Then the next thing is if you turn to the back of your book, there are some additional tools that we can use to help us to study the Bible. And there's a list of them back there at the back. I think it's last page or second to the last page. Um, it says a list of tools. And one of them is a concordance. The concordance helps you to do um, to compare Scripture with Scripture.
And so that's basically what a concordance does. And then culture books. I mean, you can read about the culture and based on the timing of of when this is written, um, it can help you to understand a passage of Scripture, a biblical or Bible dictionary or encyclopedia. Background, um, books about the background and see, you know, based off of the time period and everything, what was going on. An atlas helps you to find out where these places are, you know, as Paul travels along um, on his three missionary journeys in the book of Acts. You know, where are all these places of where he's going and where does he go back to where he's been before and all of those different things. Um, Commentaries, as I said, that's kind of a last resort um, that you go and more check your work rather than going to seek meaning. So I read, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you're like, man, what in the world does that mean? So you just go directly to a commentary and all you're doing is getting what somebody else thinks that that verse means without putting any of your own thought, um, you know, using the power that you have within you, the Holy Spirit who teaches you um, to come to an interpretation of the passage. You just skip all of that and um, basically cheat your way to what somebody else thinks it means, which they may not be right in in what they think. So that's why we want to study the Bible for ourselves. And then language, Greek and Hebrew. Um, and for that, I mean, there's so many programs and and ways to find, um, you know, the actual word and the meaning of the word and everything. It makes it a lot easier than it, than it used to be. Um, so ordinary people like you and me can study the study the scripture and we don't have to have, um, you know, the languages for five or six years to see how all this fits together and what the words are that are used. Um, that's one of the pluses to technology. And then history books, what's going on. And then one that's not on there is the Stillwater Bible website because, I mean, J.B.'s teaching. He teaches verse by verse, passage by passage. I mean, there's tons of book studies that he's done over the years that you can go and and it's but it's basically a last resort again as well because that's basically a commentary he's basically speaking verbally um what he's studied from the passage of scripture how it flows together um and all of that and so he's just basically giving you a verbal commentary of going through the bible and so that's another great great place to go But the key is study it for yourself. Use these um, these tools. Use um, the internet and um, you know and books and everything so that you can study it. Bring it all together. Get the background. Look at maps and see where these places are and um, come together as to what the passage of scripture means, and then um, make your application based on the interpretation so any comments questions concerns about studying the bible on your own 
like I said in the back of your book, there is um, a sheet that has observation, interpretation, application. It reminds you, you know, who, what, where, when, why, how, connectives, keywords, verbs. Um, so you can go through, you can list all that out, and you can basically study a passage of Scripture on your own. And so um, make copies of that page, use it, and... Um, and begin studying the Bible because it's it's key. It's God's word. Like I said um, several weeks ago, you know, it's God's written love letter to us. And uh, he's left it here for us to know more about him and to know more about his word so that we can be more like his son, Jesus Christ. So looking at the summary there, number one, as we look at the verbs, connectives, in keywords, we understand the meaning of the passage. As we look at the verbs, connectives, and keywords, we understand the meaning of the passage. As we look at the verbs, connectives, and keywords, we understand the meaning of the passage. Number two, we based our applications on the interpretation. We based our applications on the interpretation. And then number three, understanding the purpose and use of Bible study tools can help us as we study. Understanding the purpose and use of Bible study tools can help us as we study. So the question is, what are you going to do with what you've learned over the past two weeks? Are you going to make application? Are you going to set a time aside each week um, to study the Word of God? And it needs to be a time that you have a minimum of 30 minutes that you're going to sit there and you're going to dig because, um, you know, you, you've got to... You can't just read. It's different than reading. I mean, this is where you're you're actually digging it. You're studying it. Um, you're looking at it in context. So I would say a time that's set aside that's a minimum of 30 minutes, an hour would be great, um, and totally separate from your, your quiet time each day. Um, and it doesn't have to be a daily thing. You know, maybe you're just going to study once a week or twice a week or three times a week or something like that, or if you have the time um, and you're retired and you know you can set an hour aside every day, you know that's great. Um, but start somewhere and, and put it on your calendar and make it something that you do. It all begins with making a plan and then dis disciplining yourself to do what you've planned. I love this. I read this. It says, Dr. Ironside was asked by someone, I understand you get up early every morning to read and to study the Bible. Oh, he said, I've been doing it all my life. Well, how do you manage to do it? The inquirer asked. Do you pray about it? No, he replied. I get up. See, many of us are expecting God to do what he is expecting us to do. And so we have to make a plan. We have to put it on our schedule. We have to make ourselves um, be disciplined in that time that we have a set aside. It's not, 
oh, well, I'm going to sleep in and skip that today. Or I know I have that planned for Saturday at 2 o'clock, but there's a really good football game on at 2 o'clock. So I'm just going to skip over that this time. Whatever time that you set aside, set aside a time that you can dedicate, you know, that time to studying the Bible and then do it. Get someone to hold you accountable. A husband or wife is is good, but what's even better is you getting somebody to disciple. You getting somebody to take the information that you've been taught and pass it on to them. Because the best way, um, as Howard Hendricks says, the best way to keep what you've learned through this material is to give it away. And so how are you going to know this information better? You're going to know it better as you turn around and you give it away because then you don't just know the glancing of it. You've got to know it well enough to teach it to someone else and well enough to be able to answer questions on whatever it is that they ask you about the information. So let's study the Word of God. Let's give it away so that we have it even deeper in our own minds and in our own understanding. So let's make application from what we've learned over the past few weeks, and not just over the past few weeks about studying the Bible, but over the class as a whole, because this is great information, as I said from the beginning. This is a great information to take somebody through. You want to sit down with somebody and say, hey, let's do, um, let's do, let's look at the Bible together. Let's look at some basic general information that we need to know about the Word of God. That's what this class is all about. It's the foundational truths from God's Word. So let's take it, let's make application, let's pass it on to others.